Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. A couple months ago, I was having a conversation with Dr. Elizabeth Satoris, and the topic of COVID-19 came up. The pandemic has created conflicting opinions, scientific and medical debate, and even political polarization. And when we add the social emotional consequences, many are suffering with extreme grief, anxiety, depression, and widespread fear. What if there were another way of treating the virus? Nature's design may suggest a radically different way of looking at the virus and how to manage the impact and disruption it has caused. The laws of nature and the study of biology can point us toward keeping our own inner ecosystem healthy. And many of the crises we face today can be viewed from an evolutionary perspective. When we understand what is going on from a bigger picture, we can adapt and move into a healthy, creative response. In studying Earth's history of over billions of years, Elizabeth teaches that every species goes through stages of development and maturation and evolution. What if we look at our global crises of culture and climate differently? From this perspective of evolutionary biology, there is much to be hopeful for. Change and evolution isn't easy. It won't be easy. But we have the opportunity to make a conscious transition into a life-sustaining, regenerative future by creating cooperative communities that care for all life. Sound simple? Today, we're going to explore our evolutionary potential. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Dr. Elizabeth Satoris is an internationally known evolution biologist and futurist, speaking on all five continents, teaching living economies and how to navigate our perfect storm of crises After a postdoctoral fellowship in the American Museum of Natural History, she taught at MIT, the University of Massachusetts, contributed to the Nova Horizon TV series, became a fellow of the World Business Academy with an honorary chair in Living Economies, and is a fellow of the Findhorn Foundation. Dr. Satoris is co-founder of the Worldwide Indigenous Science Network and of Rising Women, Rising World. She is the author of Earth Dance, Living Systems in Evolution, A Walk Through Time from Stardust to Us, and co-author of Biology Re-Envisioned. Her latest book is Gaia's Dance, The Story of Earth and Us. And I'm really happy to have you back Dr. Satoris, welcome, welcome back to the Dr. Julie Show. Mahalo, as we say in Hawaii, where I live, and uh, aloha my kako, which is hello to everyone who's listening. 
Mm, nice. Nice. Sunny, warm Hawaii. Thanks for bringing that in right now. I'm over here way farther east than you and it's starting to get dark outside and I'm just, I'm, I'm loving that idea of the sunshine and the beach and the sandy um, beaches, oceans. Oh gosh, I need a vacation. So Dr. Satoris, you and I were talking a couple months ago and I, I, Actually, I recognized, I, I went back and I looked through um, the archives of my show. I had you on seven years ago in January for our first show, which was quite a while ago. And then we, you were on again in, I think it was November. And then we were talking about COVID and other things happening. But I bring up the seven years because I want to start with my traditional first question. And um, a lot has happened in our world over the past seven years. And so I'm going to ask that traditional first question again for you and see where this leads us. I love to set our tone, the tone of our conversation into a much larger perspective in a whole worldview. So, Dr. Elizabeth Satoris, can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, I suppose it's the essence of, of uh, nature, of uh, our living planet, of the whole cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing it, is disconnected. Yeah. <laughs> you know, seven years ago, eight years ago, when we started the show, there were so many responses where we, um, you know, I had all kinds of different professionals, scientists and spiritual teachers and, you know, just the brightest of bright. And it, it seemed like we were trying to make the case for that seven or eight years ago. And today it's so easy to just say um, it's the true nature you know we don't we don't have to prove it anymore it's just like science has moved us into this moment so eloquently with that so thank you for that you know elizabeth i would really like to start with the evolution of our species and then we'll muse into the coronavirus in the later in the show but you've studied billions of years of biological history on our planet let's expand on this stage of our human species in because I think it's so important that we understand that we're literally moving from adolescence to early adulthood as a species. There's this a lot going on and I, I can't wait to expand on it and unpack it a little bit more. But can you say more about our human evolution? Well, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, the reason I became an evolution biologist, which is really a deep pastist, was in order to be a good futurist, right? Mm. If you don't understand the trajectory you've already traveled, then it's very hard to see where to go from here. So that's why I became uh, a scientist, and in particular an evolution biologist, to trace the history of life uh, and and to see humans in that grander context. Now, most of what we learn in school about evolution uh, starts well over halfway through, really only about uh, three quarters of the way through the four billion years, roughly, of evolution of the planet Earth. And it's in that first half 
which was devoted entirely to microbes, that all the interesting foundations for what comes later were laid. And in particular, it was the, the early bacteria who went through a long competitive feisty stage before they began forming the cooperatives that became nucleated cells. And it's fascinating that we never had any further development of kinds of cells after that basic nucleated cell in addition to bacterial cells. And that maturation, as I call it, that they went through when they shifted from competition to cooperation was the first huge leap in evolution. And then those new cells, being new on the planet, went through their own long phase of feisty, feisty competition before they formed multi-celled creatures. That was the second big stage leap in evolution. Mm. And again, it had been the leap from the competitive youthful phase to the cooperative mature phase. So now we can fast forward because in school you learned from uh, multi-celled creatures forming in the seas, coming out on land, dinosaurs, flowers, you name it, up to humans, right? So we, we knew that part of the story, but we learned it through the Darwinian competitive model. At least it was our economists who decide uh, basic human behavior on the planet that picked up on Darwinian uh, evolution as being purely competitive, individuals in competition with each other. And our entire market economy was based on that idea to the point where we even gave corporations the status of individuals without the responsibilities of individuals. It's very, very interesting uh, because they escape a lot of, of uh, uh, conflict that way or a lot of criticism that way. And mm. they get out of all kinds of, you know, they can do lots of tax evasion and all sorts of things under that status. But the point is to see that we're now at a tipping point, as we call it, or what I would prefer to call a metamorphosis from the juvenile or youthful caterpillar mode <laughs> when you eat hundreds of times your weight plowing through an ecosystem rather destructively uh, to the lighter on the earth butterfly stage, which is a more mature stage that we have to reach now rather than plundering, eating up our ecosystem to figure out how to become mature within it. And so I talk about that as the need for us to build an ecosophy. An ecosophy. Say more about that. The, <laughs> the metaphor of the butterfly is really powerful and effective when we're looking at the planet and what's happening. We can, we can really relate to that. And I'm just curious if you could just unpack that a little bit more and, and, and maybe, yeah, do say more, please, about the butterfly story and yeah. how that is extremely relevant today. Then we'll jump into metamorphosis here in a second. Okay. Um, I, I uh, learned the, to use the transformation of the caterpillar into the butterfly, the metamorphosis, as as a metaphor for what's going on in the world from Nori Huddle's wonderful children's book called Butterfly. 
And in it, she tells the story of how the caterpillar, very predatory caterpillar, when it stuffed itself silly, uh, hangs itself up and its skin hardens into a chrysalis. And then little what I came to understand as stem cells, and many people do now, that had been tucked into the folds of the caterpillar's skin all its life, but had been held dormant. They start coming out and linking up together and forming the new uh, butterfly form, the imago, as it's called in biology. And therefore, we use that imago world, uh, word to translate it into imaginal cells, uh, having to do with our ability to imagine a better future. So when these, these uh, the butterfly uh, builds itself from the nutrients of a dissolving caterpillar body, the caterpillar seems to know that it's on, you know, time for it to dissolve and allow these stem cells that's kept in its skin to link up with each other and form the new butterfly form. And so um, this metaphor has been so useful that I've used it ever since I learned it from Nori Huddle and Barbara Marks Hubbard also spread it quite widely. And uh, it has it is serving us well because it's not like a tipping point or uh, the concept of the phoenix rising from the ashes. It's not a matter of the whole world having to collapse before something new can grow, but to show that it's a simultaneous process of dissolving the old and forming the new. So that's why that metaphor works so well for us. And uh, ecosophy... If you are you ready to go yes, on? Yes, yes, please. <laughs> okay, uh, comes from looking at our economic model. As I said, economics is really translated into the market economy we have built. Is our basic human behavior on the planet? It's what we do. We, uh, you know, um, the whole concept of economics is built around the acquisition of resources, the uh, purifying or remodeling or putting them together in new ways of making things out of resources and then trading those, distributing them, consuming them, and in the case of nature, always recycling them because nature's been doing economics from the get-go, right? It does all this. It, it's constantly, its life forms are transforming resources into useful products and distributing, consuming, and recycling. We don't do the recycling part, and that's why we're in such trouble. We build a linear economy where we take from the earth and we go all the way through this, this uh, sequence to where we are finished to have waste and while in nature, waste of one species is food for another, we use it to dump. And so yeah. we've filled our oceans with pollutants, as we know, and our landfills and all that. Uh, and we've invented new kinds of plastics that don't deteriorate the way things normally do in nature. So our economy is in big trouble. Now, if we think of nature is ecology, and our way of life that I've just described is our economy. We have made ecology, nature, subservient to our economy, our market economy, right? And if we turn that upside down and instead fit our economy into our ecology, 
we would have a much wiser society. And that wise society is an ecosophy because in Greek, the words for economy, ecology, and ecosophy, all are the root word is ekos, which means household. And it means household in ancient Greek at all levels, from an actual family household to a whole community, to a world, to a world living world and a larger universe. So they had this understanding of things embedded within each other that we call nowadays holarchy. And so the other word, parts of the words, economy is from nomos, law, it is the rule of the household. Ecology is the logos, the design of the household. And we separated economy from ecology as if you could separate the design of a household from the way you run it, right? And uh, perhaps that uh, has to do with language, which we can talk about later, the noun and the verb, the structure and the function, right? <laughs> and uh, and um, so the ecosophy is the household of wisdom, Sophia. Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. And is it's in the Bible even as the why the wisdom. Um, so the wisdom society stops making nature subservient to our economy and makes our economy fit itself gently into the larger nature that it that it is actually embedded in. So it doesn't behave like a cancer, <laughs> but like a healthy system. Yeah, that's a great, thank you for bringing that in. I love the, the word ecosophy now and to just have it coming from Sophia mm -hmm. and wisdom. I love that. And, you know, Bruce Lipton, Bruce Lipton talks about the, the cellular structure of our body is an economy itself. It's like if we look at how we we circulate and give and take and use and just like you were saying what the natural world does our bodies do the same as well is that true well yes i mean bruce and i were friends long long ago before he even wrote his first book and i was egging him on into writing it <laughs> i had already uh used the term body economics and I had this little story for, for children. Uh, imagine that if you were running uh, your body economy the way we run our world economy, uh, what would happen <laughs> mm. if... Uh, uh, if we, if the, if the brain were actually in charge of the whole body and could determine how it functioned, and and uh, uh, the heart, too um, hard as this go now. I have to remember. I haven't talked about this for quite a while now. Uh, but the idea that in your body, if anything goes wrong, every cell knows that you have to mobilize the resources to fix what has has gone wrong and you can't have a body in which uh, the the heart distribution center for the the blood is announcing to the body you know the the body price for blood is so much today and who which organs are we going to send it to only the ones that can afford it and then mm. some of them won't be able to afford it and you just couldn't run a, yeah. You know, <laughs> your body the way we try to run the world economy yeah wow uh, well 
so this is a beautiful introduction to us expanding into COVID, but I want to just pause here while we're still on this topic of evolution of the human species before we jump into that, because you, you said a few important things. And when we look at this, um, backtracking to the butterfly story and that metaphor, it is very, very powerful. Do you think that this radical time of evolution on our planet, will this be a radical transmutation for the human? Or is this going to be gradual shifts of dissolving and forming simultaneously, like we're talking about, that's a more manageable process? So many people think with the radical story, you know, the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis, comes out a totally different being, and he's flying. Um, The piece that you brought in that I think is important is the dissolving of the old while we're forming the new simultaneously. So what do you, what is your, I was going to say your intuition, but your experience and your expertise all wrapped up in one. What do you think this time of radical transformation is going to be? Well, I think what what we're seeing now is the last gasp of of about 6,000 years of empire building. Yes. uh, Where we first built empires ruled by actual emperors, and then we went into uh, uh, national empires like the British Empire, the Dutch, the French. You know, they were different empires. And and now we're uh, at the end of corporate empire building. And this is a stage at which the... the, uh, uh, the empire builders are trying desperately to hold on to that patriarchal power, holark, uh, hierarchical con- command and control kind of system. And we're seeing this play out in, in extremely dangerous ways now uh, with the behavior modification that's going on in, in what's being called uh, surveillance capitalism, which is a, a whole, well... I would recommend to anyone to read The Age of Surveillance Capitalism as a book to understand how we are being manipulated and managed by these big corporations of Google and Facebook and such. Um, this is this is the last effort to completely control human behavior to maintain that kind of patriarchal hierarchy. And we have to shift to a much more feminine, uh, if you'll pardon that expression, <laughs> holarchic, caring and sharing kind of an e- economy. Now, we had many indigenous cultures that actually went through the maturation cycle to build peaceful, caring and sharing economies. And my favorite example of that are the Haudenosaunee. I grew up on Haudenosaunee territory in the northeast Uh, sections of the United States and Southern Canada. And they were actually conducting the only real democracy, I believe, that has ever been been, uh, created on earth because the Greek democracy had very serious failings in terms of slavery and not enfranchising women and, you know, a few things missing there. Um, but the the uh, the founding fathers of America writing their constitution were doing so on the appropriated territory of the Haudenosaunee without very many of them paying serious attention. Benjamin Franklin did. He got to know them and he actually made a statement saying something about if 
if uh, when settlers really understand the ways of these savages, they do not want to go back to their own communities. <laughs> he actually said mm. that. And, and because they had empowered women and children and thought seven generations ahead. And uh, if a man wanted to declare war, he had to put on a skirt and carry a corn grinding bowl into the parliament to remind everyone what war does to the food supplies and to women uh, and children. And uh, so uh, Ben Franklin convinced the founding fathers to take the the tripartite checks and balances form of government that they had invented and write it into the Constitution, but they left out women, children, nature, and the future, which is a pretty big thing to leave out. Yeah, that is a big thing to leave the out. Point, the point I'm making is that there were such indigenous cultures who actually went into that mature phase to build cooperative caring and sharing communities. However, we are now challenged to do that at a global level. That's what's new. We know that it has to happen at a global level, and we know that we can't have a centralized world government in according to you know the hierarchical models of command and control, but that we have to do it as a distributed network, like our internet was intended to be a highly cooperative network, and yet it got taken over by the empire builders who are using it now to uh, to understand our behavior so well that they can, can completely control what we do, our money system, how we get along. Only I don't think it's going to work because climate change, nature, is bigger than human empire building and is teaching us some very major lessons. And we're going to be so busy trying to pull ourselves out of the unsustainability uh, when the when the caterpillar body dissolves, when the empires fail, uh, and and right now the the American empire is uh, not doing very well as an empire and is recognizing it's going through a huge crisis of metamorphosis right at this moment uh, to understand that we have to move to the caring and sharing. The way it happens is in communities, in local communities. There are many examples around the world of it happening, and they have to spread, link up with each other like the imaginal cells. For instance, the Global Echo Village Network is a linking up of all the local little um, echo villages that have built up around the world to share with each other so they don't have to reinvent wheels and, you know, discuss their their problems and their crisis with each other and they grow stronger and stronger so does bali business alliance for local living economies which was generated when i was in the uh, social venture network talking about living economies and um uh, again it's local living economies linking up with each other mm. so these, these solid meshworks, networks are happening and, and also cities are linking up with each other. Cities don't have standing armies. Cities can be compared with nucleated cells 
they're very similar looking when you look down from an airplane onto a city. I have slides where I show a slide of a cell under a microscope and a city from the air looking very similar with the nucleus hub and the transportation systems and the outlying resources and all of those things. Yeah. Uh, you know, so this, this this is a good challenge. <laughs> yeah, the the challenge and the linking up to me, listening to you, Dr. Satoris, it seems so simple. Like the roadmap, the blueprint, the template is right in front of us. It seems so simple. I want to just, um, we need to take a break. And after break, I just want to have us muse into just a few examples in biology because superorganisms have done this. So I'm just curious if you could just touch on that lightly and then we'll dig into COVID. So if you're listening to this and you're intrigued, I'm here with Dr. Elizabeth Satoris. We'll return in just a minute. listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. This is why you work so hard to pay the mortgage. Because home is more than four walls and a roof. It's that port swing on a summer night. It's pajamas with feet and everybody over for Sunday dinner. And that old stuffed chair in the living room you just can't get rid of. This is why you work a second job. This is why you learn to fix things yourself so you can save on repairs. Because home is your place, your memories, your family sleeping in their own beds at night. And that is why we want to help. We are making home affordable, a free government resource that can make paying the mortgage easier. And now even more options are available. Call 888-995-HOPE today. That's 888-995-HOPE. Or visit makinghomeaffordable.gov. Good night, Mama. This is why. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. If a disaster struck right now, what would you and your family do first? Would you stay where you are or leave? What if you and your family were separated? Would your kids know what to do? How would you get in touch with them if your cell phone isn't working? Would the subways aren't running? Don't wait until a disaster strikes to figure it out. It's your responsibility to make a plan for you and your family ahead of time. To learn how, take our readiness challenge at nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. In this online tool, you'll be faced with real-life challenges, forcing you to make quick decisions at every turn to teach you the importance of being prepared for a disaster. Without a plan, it's like you're putting your family in a disaster. Visit nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. A public service announcement brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ad Council. 
Okay, what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. So mommy's gonna teach you how to dress yourself. Underwear always comes first. Name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole or you have to start all over. Socks going first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops, the rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and you're left with money ears. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But two minutes twice a day, making sure they brush their teeth is easier, and it could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. Visit 2min2x.org to find out more. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on my Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful, healthy world we depend on. Come work with me. There's lots of different ways you can do that, and you can check out those opportunities at juliecrawl.com. Also, join us at goodofthewhole.org. I'm here today with Dr. Elizabeth Satoris. You can find out more about her work, her books, where she's been speaking, what she's up to at www.satoris.com that's S-A-H-T-O-U-R-I-S.com S-A-H-T-O-U-R-I-S.com Elizabeth, right before the break you were bringing in such important messages and I think we could do a whole year of this conversation at this time because it's so important for us to look at all the nuances. It's like life is teaching us how to be life and everything we need is right in front of us. And I, so I, I appreciate your wisdom and, and your um, just the, the, the depth of knowledge that you have in teaching us this. And I think before we switch, I really would love to hear you just um, briefly talk about some of our models in biology of, of really this cooperative caring and sharing communities linking up. And I had mentioned the superorganisms. I've had, I've had fun studying superorganisms and that distributed intelligence and the, you know, there's so much about that. So can you give us some examples in biology, perhaps of what life might look like well we're seeing so much nowadays about say the funguses which are the largest organisms on the planet uh, weaving their way through tree roots and uh, moving resources from one tree to another and all of nature in communion with itself everything knowing where what's going on and where it's headed so I, I wrote a little book for iPhones, a cartoon book called Bacteria Are Us, that starts out by saying that when we invented the telescope, we discovered that we were tiny beings in a vast universe. Then we turned the telescope around inventing a microscope and discovered that we were a vast universe populated by tiny beings. And so uh, the tiniest beings in us, uh, of course, are the bacteria and their viral communication system. And uh, they, as I said in the first half, you know, the bacteria form the nucleated cells and we're made of about 50 trillion of those. So we are my favorite superorganism, if you like. Mm-hmm. Imagine yourself just being one of those gut bacteria now. There, there's not a single 
multi-celled creature in the world that doesn't have its friendly cohort of bacteria that helps it be alive. You know, they are all superorganism in that sense that they're this constellation of, of nucleated cells and bacteria working together. We have 10 times as many uh, gut bacteria as those 50 trillion cells, you know, mm. nucleated cells. And we don't understand this microbial world at all well yet. So uh, it's, a, it's a very good time for us to be talking about the importance of truly understanding it with this COVID crisis upon us. Well, let's turn to the COVID crisis. Um, there's so much controversy, even about the best pathways and practices. We don't have to expand on that. It's, it's quite visible in the media here, but we have this entire biological ecosystem within our bodies that you're talking about that we need to maintain balance homeostasis. And here we are learning from bacteria. Like you said, we have a lot to learn from, but we need bacteria. We need viruses and even viruses induce evolution. I've heard you say that before. So let's talk about that. What can you teach us about COVID and some of your ideas about our inner ecosystem? Yes. Well, um, as we know, the bacteria in our gut run most of our immune systems, right? And uh, and they make vitamins and they repair the gut lining uh, uh, damages that happen as food passes through. So they do all sorts of things for us and we don't understand them very well yet. Now, 30 years ago, we had invented antibiotics which in Greek is anti-life agents. Mm-hmm. And we, we were so enamored of how well they worked in, in uh, healing some diseases that, that we spread them all over the world. They were sold over the counter. And what happened was that it took us 30 years to recognize that all bacteria are not evil germs, but that most of them are friendly and necessary to us. And I'm afraid we're going through the same thing now with viruses because we're treating them as all evil germs instead of recognizing how dependent we are on those. Now, very few people who aren't biologists have any idea that your 50 trillion cells are spitting out viruses and plasmids, bits of DNA and RNA, 24-7 like dandruff uh, into the rivers that flow between your cells, these these intracellular uh, rivers and, and pathways for these viruses and bits of DNA and RNA to travel up and down to other cells. Now, we have this image of viruses kind of drilling their way into cells because they're, they're so tough and nasty, but actually cells have to open themselves up to viruses. And that's why a lot of the research that's been going on in, in biological uh, weaponry research and things of that kind that we know were happening in, in China and in the United States. And the scientists were cooperating and they were writing papers on gain of function research, which meant how do you alter viruses so that you can get them into cells? Um, you know, that because they, this is uh, what the kind of research that they do is about. 
Meanwhile, as I said, your cells are spitting out viruses and there are lots of viruses related to past pandemics that have already been built into our own DNA. Um, so we have to look at this as a communication system where the virus has a kind of address on itself and it's delivered like a mail service to a cell and then the cell has to decide, is, is this package for me? You know, does it match? Do I match up with its address? <laughs> Is this my address that that's on the virus? And then you let it in, and it. So viruses can't live without cells. They can't do anything. They they're not really living things themselves. They go into a cell, a living system, and they can replicate by using parts of that living cell to do so. And this goes on in a friendly way, as I say, all of the time. And no virus by itself can cause a disease. A disease is a complex interaction between the state of the body and the invader, let's say, the, the, the new virus or bacterium that's coming in uh, that isn't adapted yet to that body. And we talk about we build antibodies and we adapt to them and uh, we build immunity, and every health professional in the world knows now that the best defense against this new virus is a healthy immune system. And yet the health profession is not fighting for healthy food, which is the only way to maintain your immune system, is to feed your gut bacteria healthy food, right? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. So instead, we have and this is this is really shocking now we have the same company um which is is th this is the um bayer which has eaten up monsanto and monsanto poisons our food supply by spreading these anti-life agents antibiotics that is how roundup the the chief chemical the glyphosates was patented as an antibiotic so they spray these glyphosates on all of your grains and veggies and stuff the rest of the antibiotics into the poor feedlot animals so that almost the entire supermarket food supply is toxic to humans uh, to, be, to begin with. It's been toxified by these chemicals, which were originally Agent Orange, you know, defoliating the forests of Vietnam. Um, <laughs> This is not a good thing because they have to pair the Roundup with seeds that are immune to it, the one seed you want. So we play God. All the other plants are called weeds. They're bad. We get rid of them by defoliating them through using these glyphosates. Um, so you, you plant a lawn, for instance, with GMO'd grass seed that's immune to this toxin, and then all the other plants on your lawn die and you have only your nice green grass left. That's how it works. But now, when we know that we need a healthy food supply, why would we allow a company to make huge profits toxifying our food supply and then turning around and selling us medications and vaccines to cure us when our immune systems fail? We know that the most of the people who die of COVID are elderly people who already have half a dozen chronic diseases and a medicine chest full of these uh, uh, medicines that have been profitable. And we see that these big pharmaceutical companies are 
the biggest criminals in the world if you judge by the fines levied against them in courts. And the most recent fine against the pharmaceutical company that uh, is now held responsible for the opioid crisis because of the, the opioid drug, which was given to me when I was in hospital for surgery and was so widespread that it caused this crisis, they were fined $5 billion in court. $5 $5 billion. The owners of the company, the couple who own it, have no responsibility for what their company did and are personally worth $13 billion. Now, we, this kind of information has to get out there because we are now in a situation where the COVID crisis is said to be entirely, its, its disappearance, its cure, uh, its solution is to be entirely based on the vaccines that are being produced now by such pharmaceutical companies, which have already passed, gotten new laws passed that no one can sue them if there are any problems with the vaccines. I am not an anti-vaxxer. I want to know what's in my vaccines the way I want to know what's in my food when I buy it, and why does the food have to be labeled but the vaccine doesn't, and I want to have it properly tested, and I want the scientific debate among people who have other ways of dealing with the COVID crisis to continue rather than having anything that doesn't follow the official line of the top pharmaceuticals and organizations that they fund, um, pharmaceutical companies, uh, only their view is now considered valid. And I'm seeing the crushing, the crushing, the crushing of all the other solutions that are happening around the world, including there are some small countries now where governments are offering free COVID kits to anyone who has the slightest symptoms. And apparently it's working very well and the studies are now underway already. This is relatively new, all this, but the studies are underway, and these kits contain only tried and tested drugs and a few vitamins and minerals. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, just this hmm thing. Sorry. <laughs> the, yeah, you know, the, the, so the vaccine is one whole, one whole, another conversation. Maybe I can invite you back on. And just returning to this idea of the healthy food and our own healthy healthy microbiome our own inner ecosystem staying healthy as prevention is our food well enough to do that for us well unfortunately as i say almost all supermarket food other than a very small section of organic food in most of them now uh and and it should be much bigger Um, Because it's cheaper, you see, to produce food in mega agricultural ways that are controlled by these chemicals and that don't rot when you ship them a long distance. We have to go back to more, excuse me, more local food supplies and they should be organic. Now, I grew up in a world as a child where there were no farm chemicals. All my food was organic. Within one lifetime, things have shifted so dramatically that now only people of some means can afford to buy the organic food. However, 
even the poorest people can start growing some of their own organic food in small, you know, neighborhoods or taking over vacant lots and building food forests and gardens in them. These things can happen. You can even grow some healthy things from seeds, uh, you know, sprout them in a, in a, by a window in a glass jar. You can start getting uh, some organics into yourself that way. And many health insurance companies make uh, some of the better, you know, vitamins and supplements available free nowadays for, uh, or if you have really good coverage at least. So we, we can do it and we are doing it in places in the world where the organic gardens are growing lavishly and wonderfully and food forests are, are the latest take on that uh, or the latest new since, since permaculture um, getting whole food trees like for instance in the, in the uh, Pacific Ocean Islands the ulu tree, the breadfruit tree, has been a staple for thousands of years, I think, for people. Uh, it's the only no-work agriculture I know. This great big breadfruit just grows and grows and drops on your head when it's ripe. And, <laughs> and, and now the multinationals, of course, are trying to patent it and, and reduce the number of uh, strains of it and things like that. But um, I don't know if I did I stray from your question. You know what? It's a. It was a good start because we we could do so much more in looking at our food supply, and that's one of those things that's mm-hmm. so important for us to look at here. I do want to kind of put you on the spot just a little bit before we run out of time. We have about five minutes here, maybe four minutes, and I'm curious. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you. One of the things that you brought to our attention today was that our path with with um, bacteria and antibiotics having it swing one way and then us learning and going oh, okay that now we're starting that a new journey with viruses and it's like okay we'll look back you know 20 years from now and we'll understand viruses so much better thanks to this huge um, teacher the COVID-19 pandemic here but here's where I want to put you on the spot Elizabeth, if you don't mind. Yes. I, and I don't, I might even sound ignorant asking the question, but we know that viruses work, like you said, it needs to go in, it needs the host cell, and it goes in with the RNA and literally changes the cellular structure. Could this virus, could the role of this virus, this pandemic, be a part of our evolutionary process here in 2021? Well, all of our interactions with viruses are part of the evolutionary process is my answer to that. Okay. We, we don't know a particular role for this particular one, but we are in constant necessary interaction with this whole viral language community communion communication system and but I I wanted to say one final word on this food uh, matter and that is that we must end the food wars among the people fighting for healthy food uh, this is very very important that we, we there there's a kind of warfare between let's say the vegans and the paleos on who's got the right diet 
And I think we need to allow for diversity in people to choose what diet makes them feel best and contribute best to their health. And everyone who is fighting for organic, whether it's organic meat or organic veggies, must work together on a team for demanding healthy food from the companies that claim, you know, to be about health for all of us to really yeah. look sensibly at what are they doing? Is it healthy? And how can we make sure that we do get healthy food to strengthen our immune system so that we can deal not only with this pandemic, but all the other pandemics coming down the road? Yes. And this is destroy, a... As we destroy ecosystems. And yes. they, you see the microbes in the ecosystems we're destroying jump on us as lifeboats. And we're not adapted to them yet. And we've got to stop destroying those ecosystems and live in harmony with each other and with nature. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful opportunity for us to literally stop and look at that cooperative model of caring and sharing and linking up, even with our food distribution and the the uh, the whole thing. It's just inviting us into this next place so so food is another one of those the like you were talking about the dissolving the old and forming the new simultaneously it's just one of our social structures that needs to evolve to support us here so we have about two minutes here maybe one minute um, before we close here elizabeth what last words in a minute or less would you like to share with our listeners here today well, I'd like to share, as I, as I often say, um, the idea that, you know, look at what humanity is doing, see it as an improvisational play that you are part of, and find something that makes your heart sing that will lead to a better world. And think of yourself and your loved ones as the survivors who are going to get through this perfect storm of crises to the light at the end of the storm. Um, when you walk through a storm, that song I love. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark, right? And find something that makes your heart sing, whether you're a poet or a politician or a gardener or whatever. We need everyone who can see that light at the end of the tunnel, that harmony with nature, that caring and sharing future that we need to work on locally and globally i call it globally <laughs> <laughs> beautiful thank you for bringing in those positive words and and sharing your wisdom with us here today dr satoris and i'm going to leave you listeners with another quote from dr satoris the catastrophes we brought upon ourselves teach us that love and respect for earth restoring her pure waters rich soils and clean air and protecting her remaining wild forests, prairies and living creatures as we love and care for each other is the only possible way forward. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie show, all things connected. Remember together we are creating connections for the good of the whole until next time. I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <laughs>